Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. Almighty God, increase our fear that we would be less afraid. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm speaking tonight from the book of Proverbs. I haven't done that in 12 years, so I thought it's time to venture back into that brilliant book of uh, pithy pearls of wisdom all strung together uh, by the genius of Solomon. And uh, you may know that this uh, book of Proverbs was Solomon's way of helping his children in some ways to avoid his own mistakes. So he's trying to reaffirm a moral framework for them to help them to be wise and and not stupid. That's his goal. And I want to speak tonight uh, just very briefly because of the, the heat, of course, about the first proverbial saying, which encapsulates in so many ways the entirety of the book of Proverbs. And I'm just going to read you the first portion of verse 7 and then do a taxonomy of this particular uh, verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, well, let's break it down into in four ways. Uh, the first thing we have to pay attention to is the word fear. The word fear. The first word in the first proverb is fear fear. And that ought to be strange to our ears, strange to our eyes, uh, because we very reflexively assume that fear is negative, always negative. It has to be extracted from our experience. After all, Roosevelt said it, right? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That was a very good impression of Roosevelt, just <laughs> in case you needed to understand the, the validity of what I just did. But, but the Bible has a, a distinctive message regarding fear. That is, fear, rightly understood, is profoundly needful. You do need to be afraid, and so do I. In fact, if you had fear completely vanished from your life, you would be destroyed. Fear is a gift, so long as it is the right kind of fear and the right kind of experience of fear. And if we are to be wise, we have to know how to detect a threat. You need to know where the threat is coming from. You ought to be afraid. When I was uh, kayaking in central Pennsylvania uh, years ago, Uh, I was on a a kayak with inexperienced kayakers, but we had a very experienced guide who, right in front of us as he was rowing, said, look, there are terrible rapids, they are approaching very swiftly, and there are two whirlpools, one to the left and one to the right. And you have to row very deeply and very vigorously to stay on track. Otherwise, you end up in one of the two whirlpools and you might die. So I thought, well... I either am going to trust my own instincts to sort of let everybody else do the work for me, which is what I've always wanted, or instead listen to the guide. And we did, and thankfully we didn't get caught up in the whirlpools. But we we ought to have been afraid. We ought to have been afraid because we were out of our depth, quite literally. Uh, We were beyond our experience, and there was only one person in the kayak who knew what he was doing. So we had to listen to him, and we had to be afraid of the alternatives to listening to him. Uh, And so fear, fear means that we recognize a threat for what it is. 
And we have many threats that are allied against us, right? They could be whirlpools, they could be viruses, they could be internal threats, by the way, our finiteness, our fragility, our mortality. But without fear, without fear, we can become stupid and so wreckage into the world. Fear tells us, look, there are a million different ways to do your life wrong. And there's only two or three ways of doing it right. So pay attention, pay attention or else. Well, this is the first word, fear. But the fear is qualified here. You notice that. It says the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Fear of Yahweh. Um, notice uh, Solomon, when he writes this first proverb, doesn't plead with us to fear a million different threats that are all around us. Whether that's a particular government official that we find displeasing, the uh, situation with the ozone layer, public broadcasting, lots of things to be afraid of. Um, that was very funny. Uh, but Solomon instead gives us a singular and vertical concern. He says it, fear God. If you're going to fear something, fear God. Fear God. Now, that's an oft-repeated sentiment in Scripture. It appears 27 times in the Old Testament in a variety of authors, ranging from the Psalms to the Proverbs to the Prophets. It is a uniform message. Nobody in the Old Testament says that you ought not to fear God. Jesus taught us the same thing. You may remember in the lesson that was just read to us from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, uh, Jesus taught us to fear the Lord. He said, look, other terrors in life can destroy your body. There's only one entity, one reality that has authority over your eternal component, over your soul, and that one is God. And so it's right to fear him. Uh, now, that's a strange concept in, in our culture, to fear God. Most of us would like to view God as sort of a pudding or some sort of dessert that's saccharine and sweet and wonderful and poses no threat to anything. He exists only to affirm what we want. God is an additive to life that helps you to accomplish your best life now. That simply isn't the biblical view. This is why Martin Luther, during his first Mass, when he famously raised the chalice that, at least when he was a Roman Catholic, believed would be transubstantiated into the blood of Christ, he trembled before God, terrified to do it incorrectly, and in fact, spilled the wine on the altar. That's why uh, John Newton, the famous Anglican hymn writer, said that grace had to teach his heart to fear before his fears relieved. He had to have a sense of the transcendent. And so what does it mean to fear the Lord? I think there are two wrong ways of understanding that. One is a crippling anxiety that causes us to hide what we're really feeling and doing from God as if we could do such a thing. The other is sort of a minimizing of that fear, sort of a doffing of the hat, showing some respect like you would to a police officer that just pulled you over. I don't think it's either one of those things. Instead, it means something like this. It means to be awestruck and humbled at the same time. Awestruck and humbled. And you can understand that impulse based on your reaction to certain forms within creation or certain massive conceptions. When you consider the vastness of the Milky Way or the vastness of eternity or when I was in Ireland looking at and then walking through the Irish mountains, I had a sense of how small I was and ultimately how insignificant I was. 
awestruck and humbled by creation, how much more the creator. This is why every time even an emissary of the creator shows up in the biblical narrative, an angel shows up, the angel has to tell people not to be terrified because that's their initial impulse. The same thing happens with the prophet Isaiah. He sees a vision of the throne room of heaven and all of a sudden he realizes how unfit he is to be present there. He's terrified and he ought to be. Uh, You know, we have many things going right in our cultural moment. I think one of the things that isn't going so right is our lack of fear, our lack of fear of the Lord. Do we know who this God is, the ground of being, the one whom we know as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one who has created all of us, the one who has sent his Son to bleed for us, the one who sends his Spirit to renew us? Well, Solomon teaches us to fear the Lord. And then he says that the fear of this Lord, the fear of Yahweh, is the beginning of something. But let's focus on the word beginning just for a moment. Uh, In other words, he's saying that our rightful fear of God is the starting place or the womb or the genesis of knowledge. That you can't really know anything without fear. Fear is a prerequisite for knowing, truly knowing the things that you need to know about life. So fear of God is sort of like the substructure of healthful engagement with the world. It positions us, the fear of the Lord positions us to be open to the right kind of wisdom and knowledge and to rightly function within life. So the fear of God is our starting place for wisdom. You know, um, when I talk about beginnings and the beginnings of wisdom, this is what I mean, that we believe because of God and because of the revelation that comes from God, certain things are axiomatically understood, meaning certain things are foundational to our way of seeing and experiencing reality. We take them as goods and as givens because of divine revelation. So we as believing people, as Christian people, um, believe that certain things uh, are, are just absolutely and um, unalterably true, and we base our lives on those foundations. For example, creation is purposeful and ordered, yet fallen and savage, and we live within those truths. Additionally, that all of us, even our leaders, are inescapably accountable to a higher judge and authority. That we are not the center of this story, we are not the protagonist. Thank heaven we're not. Additionally, we believe that there is an objective good and evil. And that as we live into goodness, we are living into our created purpose. And as we live into evil, we are devolving as people. But these are our axiomatic assumptions. This is where we begin. The fear of the Lord puts us in that place, puts us in that place. And Solomon contends throughout the book of Proverbs that if we begin without God, if we seek a genesis without God, a starting place without God, we become both stupid and savage. Solzhenitsyn was asked to explain the reason behind the ghastly and vast atrocities of the Soviet Union so many millions dead. And this was his pithy saying in response to that question, that the reason things got so bad was, to quote him, men have forgotten God. Men have forgotten God. And when you replace God with the state, when you replace God with the autonomous self, when you replace God with anything, we wither. We become unhuman. Um, And so he contends that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
We need to begin with the awestruck sense, the humble sense of our place before the Creator in order to function well in life. He says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of something. Namely, it's the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of knowledge. That is, beginning with a right estimation of God and the self in relation to that God gives birth to knowledge. Now, knowledge and wisdom in Proverbs are used nearly synonymously, but knowledge doesn't just mean knowing facts, like knowing trivia so that someday you can win at trivia, trivial pursuit, nor does it only mean cognitive awareness, sort of conception within your mind that has no bearing on your day-to-day life. No, knowledge here, and certainly wisdom, means applied intelligence. Applied intelligence, intelligence that leaks into the heart, that leaks out of the hands, that leaks out of the mouth, that engages the world. It's something that is integrated within you, not something that is segmented just in the mind. This is knowledge. Um, And you may remember the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. At the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a variety of brilliant insights about the human condition and how one ought to order one's life in the world, and concludes with a metaphorized picture of the individual experience within life. He says, essentially, that life is like constructing, like a Cape Cod. You're constructing a home. And you can construct the home in such a way that whenever the weather around you changes, your home can remain intact. But your home has to be built upon something very solid, not sand, but stone. Um, and, and so he's, he's saying in the end of the Sermon on the Mount um, that those who listen to what I say and put it into practice are like those who built, build their lives upon the stone, upon the rock, something solid. But it isn't just listen to what I say, nor is it just do things. It's listen to what I say and put them into practice. So it's applied knowledge, applied wisdom. This is, uh, this is Solomon's genius, This is his bequest, not just to his sons, but here, his present sons and daughters, all of us, that we are people uh, who begin with this understanding that if we fear the Lord, we can begin in this life to have real integrated wisdom so that we can add to the world's flourishing rather than its detriment. That's the idea. I mention all of these things because within our current cultural moment, uh, I think we really are struggling with fear, but I'm not sure that it's the right kind of fear. Our problem is not having really too much fear. I think our problem is fearing the wrong things too much. Uh, And I think the fear of the Lord is the antidote for hysterical fears that tend to creep up in various aspects of our lives. I mean, there, is a lo- there are a lot of things to be afraid of in this life, right? We are under threat all the time. And yet, if we begin with the fear of the Lord, those other fears may dominate our lives less and less. You know, some of us are terrified of failure. But when we fear God, we know. We know that our failures don't ultimately stick because God doesn't hold your sins against you because he held them against the body of Christ on the cross. Some of us are terrified of economic insecurity, whether national or personal. But when we fear God, we know that the same God who cares about the birds and the flowers in the fields cares more about you 
than the rest of the natural order and will not leave you alone in a ditch. Some of us are scared of negative perception, how other people see us. But when we fear God, we realize that people's opinions are like dandelions, right? There's a multiplicity of them, and they grow up overnight. But one of the benefits of dandelions is, yes, they grow up overnight, but they die pretty quickly, too, just like people's opinions. One of the few benefits of narcissism and self-interest within our culture is that um, people don't go to bed thinking about you. They only go to bed thinking about themselves, which is a total relief, you know? They're not obsessing about you. They have other obsessions, right? And when we fear God, we realize that that's, that's the way with people's opinions, that they ultimately do not give us a true identity. Our true identity has been locked in with God, sealed forever. Um, some of us are scared of disease and death. But when we fear God, we know that life itself will certainly kill the body, but not the soul. That the soul is ultimately in the hands of a good and gracious and redeeming and revivifying God. And some of us are terrified or very anxious about the fall of Western civilization. But when we fear God, we can be certain that no one derails sovereignty that the undercurrent eventually sweeps up everything uh, in its direction. And some of us uh, are, are terrified of the future, great anxiety about the future, or the future of our children within this world. But when we fear God, we know that no matter what odds are set against us and no matter what tragedies strike us, God has a way of bringing beauty out of ashes. It's just his method. It's how he operates. And in this life, if we don't see beauty arising from ashes, we will at the resurrection of the dead. Because ultimately, that's where we are headed. And so, friends, the fear of the Lord can help us to have diluted fears. That is, it can dilute other fears. Because what are they compared to the Eternal who has chosen by His own grace to care so much for us? Many things will cause us to be afraid in this life, but when we seek the Lord first and understand the fear of the Lord first, it will certainly affect all of those other things. Or to quote the psalmist, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Top Lady, the hymn writer, you know, he wrote Rock of Ages. He wrote a bunch of other hymns too, but... I don't know if we remember any of those, but we certainly remember Rock of Ages, at least many of us do. He he knew what it meant to fear and love God, but he, toward the end of his life, really lost the fear of death. And there was this great moment in which he exclaimed to the companions that were encircling him as he died. He said these things. Oh, what delight. For me, the sky is clear. There are no more clouds. Lord Jesus, I am now on my way. Amen. Free at last, they took your life. They could-